Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary, importuning you yet again to make us part of your annual giving. Go to www.commentary.org slash donate. I'm going to talk about this a little later on the program in order to mix things up and not bore you right at the top. So with me as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. 2.30 yesterday afternoon, Joe Biden gave a speech about uh, updating America on the developments in COVID and Omicron and everything. Uh, what did you guys think? Well, I, there are two main points and then two smaller points and then one larger point, not that any of them are small, that, that jumped out at me. Um, first, on this question, on, on his defensiveness about not having foreseen um, the the speed with which Omicron would uh, tear through the, the globe. And it and, should be said that country. that was not that was not during the speech. That was the first question asked by you, Michelle Cinder, after the speech was over. Like, why did it take so long to get tests into the hands of people, uh, given the the you know virulence of this outbreak? Right. And then Biden instantly got defensive and he said, took Come on, man. Took so long. It didn't take so long. Anyway, go ahead. Well, aside from the, the specific matter of um, uh, Omicron being immediately identified as uh, a variant, a dangerous variant, a variant of what is the term? Uh, a variant of, of concern, concern, a variant of. Yeah. Um, uh, at which point everyone was saying, uh, look at this thing's going to be this thing's going to be unbelievably nasty. Aside from that, the overarching justification that we've been hearing for almost two years about continued pandemic measures is that we fear that a variant is going to come along that is going to be worse than all the others. And this is why we cannot open too soon. This is why we cannot be too cautious. Uh, we don't know when that happens. We, we, we you know, all hell's going to break loose. So the idea, the fact that this that that Omicron happened and, and was so fast. This was the most overdetermined development of the entire pandemic. I mean, this is this is everything we have been hearing about. How can you possibly say that that uh, no one thought this would happen? It makes zero sense. And I'll just I just have to say additionally with that. And I know this is this also came up in the question. So then I'll, I'll push it back to you guys for, for the actual speech. Um, he was questioned about testing about uh, home testing and and lack of tests and lines for tests and costs of tests and the fact that uh, his administration has not gotten them ready uh, in in advance of of the rush now and isn't that already a failure once again got very defensive we did the speed we could have known okay once again what did we hear about what was the overarching complaint against Trump for the for the entire uh, uh, period that he was president during the pandemic was that testing. We have the U.S. has fallen down on the job on testing, testing. We need more tests. This country is testing like crazy. That country is testing like crazy. That country tests for free. This country tests when you walk out your houses. This was all we ever heard. And now it's saying, well, no, I, how did I know? It was total defensive garbage. Scott Lincecum, uh, a couple months ago uh, in the dispatch, wrote this very comprehensive and interesting piece about testing and how the regulatory framework of our, you know, healthcare establishment is responsible for the delays 
in testing and the refusal to sort of speed uh, the process. And interestingly, it's very parallel to the to the vaccines that there's a supply side element to this. Had we been in a position where the federal government had said, okay, we're going to commit $10 billion to testing. Uh, private companies go to it. What's the best you can do? What's the fastest home test you can do? What's the simplest home test you can do? We'll have a bake-off, see what happens, and then we will subsidize the purchase of these tests and ship them out you know, every, to every doctor's office, every whatever, and they'll be free. And we didn't do that. Uh, Europe did some. We didn't for very complicated reasons. ProPublica has a good piece on this as well. So, um, uh, and I mentioned, I think yesterday, that Michael Mina of Harvard has been doing nothing but talking about the disaster attendant on the fact that there are not easily obtained tests. We're now in a different period in which I think Noah will make the argument that uh, making tests easily obtained when we are dealing with a variant that is possibly much weaker um, will have the unintended consequence of making us feel more panicky about Omicron than we should feel panicky. But nonetheless, this is an 18-month issue for Biden to say nobody, if I had said, which is what he said in the question, if I had said Omicron was going to be this virulent, people would have said, Biden, what are you drinking? And as I say in a column in the New York Post today, him drinking might have been an explanation for why he literally couldn't speak every a third word without slurring it. That would have been at least a, co- a comprehensive or coherent explanation for his mien during the speech. But in fact, the entire thing about Omicron, the minute that it emerged in South Africa was that it was more <laughs> contagious. That was all we knew about it. We, in fact, what we didn't know was whether or not it was more virulent. It already looked like it wasn't more virulent, but it was obviously vastly more contagious. That was in the first news story about its isolation in Gauteng, I'm told is how it's pronounced, not Gauteng, in South Africa. So for him to stand there 26 days later and say, well, if I had said it was this contagious, everybody would have said you're a drunk, um, is absolutely scandalous. Like, I mean, maybe he's going to get away with it. I don't know. But I mean, that, that that's just shocking. Like that was the only that was the signature element of this variant was its contagiousness. Can okay. I also just yeah. point out that like from a physical standpoint, he did not seem to be in great shape. I mean, I also the slurring of the words being one thing, but the, the coughing, coughing. And, yeah. and the fact that someone from the Associated Press asked the press secretary later, like, you know, has he tested negative? Because remember, there was reported that he came into close contact with a staffer who had tested positive. He'd been in close contact on Air Force One with the staffer. And the, the press secretary's response was strange. This, this was like just late last night. She said, he's asymptomatic. I spent several hours with him this morning and he's feeling great. That's not a he tested negative answer. So there's even the possibility that maybe he's got a, a mild case Listen, of, of COVID. Like, who knows? But nobody's at, nobody's following up. Like, has the president contracted COVID? That's a question the American people should have answered. His physical state during that press conference yesterday was not good. He did not seem with it. He did not seem on the ball. Well, I mean, that's a the, that's a, the continuum question. Like, maybe it would be better for him to say as COVID because then it doesn't raise continuing questions about his uh, incapacity or fitness exactly. for the job. I will say this, that having someone in my household with COVID... She and her friends, six or seven of them who have it, are all asymptomatic. 
I mean, she has a cold, which is actually unrelated because I have it and I don't have it. And uh, my my, you know, two of my other kids have cold. There are colds around and uh, they're not covid related. She is asymptomatic. Being asymptomatic doesn't mean that you don't have Omicron. And it's also me. She's, you know, 17. And Biden is, you know, Biden is uh, is is approaching 80. So um, having this having this variant when you are old is different from having it when you're young. That's the whole point about why we're getting so hysterical about whether or not we need to test in schools and everything. It's already the case that this is not a wildly contagious, far from it. I mean, that 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 uh, that COVID, um, you know, is is uniquely uh, kind to children. And uh, we have no reason to think that that's any different with with, with Omicron which is why starting to ramp up hysteria about testing in schools and all that is so crazy, but it isn't crazy for Biden. It isn't crazy. Nobody over 75 should, should get any variant of COVID. It's not good. You know, it's like, that's, that's something you should try to avoid basically. Okay. No, I think we're just spinning our wheels over something that's going to be irrelevant by the time we figure out a solution to it. Um, As far as all the data we have suggests, according, you know, people like um, Scott Gottlieb, is doing a pretty good job um, watching the data here and flit, flirts with you know paranoia and terror and then sort of comes back to reality once he starts looking at the data that the vast majority of these cases are cases we're missing. We know that this is prevalent only because of wastewater testing, not because people are tested, going, showing up at hospitals, presenting system, symptoms, getting tested and showing up positive. The vast majority of cases we're missing because people are asymptomatic, they don't feel like they have a cold, you know, or sickness that's ju- that justifies getting a test. Perhaps the incentives for getting a test and getting a positive test are outweighed by the 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 not but not by the benefits of it, but by what you will have to do as a result of this condition. Um, considering the lack of severity, it doesn't make sense to you. Whatever the cause of this condition, we have a, a significant amount of cases here that are going un unregistered, um, and that was the case in South Africa. Now it's summer in South Africa. So maybe it's going to be a little different here with the longevity of the wave, but the severity does seem to be borne out uh, that it is as uh, is, it has as little severity in South Africa and the UK as it does here. And as a result, there's a significant wave of infection around us that we're not seeing because it doesn't affect people. Around. Right. Which is why it is so important to watch the hospitalization stats because you can be infected or not infected or this or that people go to the hospital when they're really sick. They don't go to the hospital when they're asymptomatic. Right. Oh, I'm sorry to, to so, finish my point. I oh, forgot yeah, my, yeah, uh, sorry. my ultimate point, which is, I just forgot it. I'm sorry. Which is that um, by the time we, we spin up testing capacity, the wave will have crested and be done with us. Well, from your mouth to God's ear. And, uh, and, and of course, the other way of looking at it is that we spin up testing capacity just in case there is another variant after this variant, we should at least have testing capacity. Like why, why that wouldn't be a bad thing to have stockpiled. These tests are, you know, they're not, uh, they're not going to go bad. They sit in a box, you know, and it's like, if, if we're, if we're, if we're in a, if we're in a pandemic that is shifting and changing, there's nothing wrong with having the capacity to test if there is yet another wave, which there could be in the spring or something like that. But that's why I'm talking about this hospitalization number, which is forget, you know, forget 
positivity without symptom, right? The whole question is, is this going to make people sick in large numbers? Is it going to, is it going to make them go into the hospital in large numbers? And, uh, and as, uh, as we would constantly have said on this podcast, we are back in the, well, we need a couple more weeks. We need a couple of more weeks. So Scott Gottlieb, weirdly enough, has a tweet out in which he says, here's a chart that shows hospitalizations. And it's really not so bad because in London and in New York, uh, hospitalizations are up, but they're 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 up so much less than they were during Delta, and so much less than they were during the. They're only up a little bit, and that's a that's a good sign. But if you look really closely at the chart that he put up, it's an AI chart. The hospitalization rate in New York City in the last three days has gone down. Like the chart, the tail end on the right end of the chart is a downward line from a higher point, you know, over the weekend or Friday or something like that. Uh, if you, you know, if you zeroed in on that area as opposed to the long chain, right, you just zeroed in on those three days, it would look quite precipitous. So while theoretically hospitalizations are higher than they were, and theoretically following about, in fact, the data in New York City, which is apparently, you know, an epicenter of this Omicron outbreak show, that in fact hospitalizations are not rising, even though the case numbers are like staggering, like they're doubling every day or something. Something like thirty percent of people in 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 the prison system now have Omicron. Some some crazy number like that. Um, let's talk about the speech, and then I want to get back to some of the data stuff because uh, you guys made some very interesting points about what it is that people in public health are actually complaining about, and it's not sickness. Um, what did you think of the speech as a speech? Because it's, you know, it's like he's given, I don't know, six or seven major speeches this year. What did you guys think of the speech as a speech? White noise. Uh, he, he, he sort of got up there and gave advice, mostly, that was consonant with the conventional wisdom that we all know to be conventional wisdom now and has been conventional wisdom since since I don't know uh, since 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 the since the vaccines uh, came about, he he said and repeated and repeated that you should get vaccinated. He said that you should wear a mask. He said that you should get boosted. Um, who needed to hear that? Anyone who needs to hear that won't won't hear it, and they certainly won't hear it from him. Well, there were um, there were plenty who were um, heartened by <clears throat> the president's regular assertion that this is not March of 2020. We are not going back to March of 2020. We have all the tools. We can we can contain this thing uh, to a degree that we simply couldn't then, and we're not going back to that place. Great. And you should get vaccinated. Yes. But you should also wear masks anytime you're in an indoor setting, no matter where you are forever. And also you should maintain social distancing. Uh, and, you know, you should, you know, be prepared for a season of death in horror if you're unvaccinated. I mean, this is kind of a discordant message unless you're inclined to disregard all that post-pandemic status quo as just now status quo. If you believe that this is just the way things are today, which a lot of the people who I think this speech was intended for most certainly do. Well, I don't that- think this speech was intended for the unvaccinated or for people who are on the fence about it, or for people who are genuinely disinclined to re- to re-engage in these kind of mitigation protocols uh, and needed to be cajoled into it by the president who was saying, well, this is actually quite serious. I don't think the speech was for anyone other than the people who are already hanging on the president's every word, which is the exact 
wrong audience to go after. Well, that 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 was the frustrating thing for me. And I think, Abe, on our text thread, you you put it really well and succinctly when you said, you know, this is a public service announcement. And what we needed right now because of the panic, I mean, I, it, talk about a read the room moment. He was, I think Noah's right. He was only reading that little bubble room that he's been in for most of his presidency when he needed to read the cultural room. The fact that a lot of Americans, again, good people who've gotten vaccinated, done all the right things and are getting, seeing the breakthrough infection, seeing it spread quickly, worried, concerned going into the holiday about schools, about work, about all of this stuff, all good things to be concerned about in this moment. He did not speak to those people. He certainly, as Noah said, he did not speak to the unvaccinated at all, um, except with the reigning destruction and death uh, messaging of his, of his White House. But he needed he needed to calm people down and be rational and say, I actually think he did need to say, don't panic. Like we've got this. Here's how we've got this. We've got all these tools. You need to, this is going to happen. We're living with this thing now. I, I, okay, I would, well, would okay, go farther. I, I just want to say further. And, and I, I, I think, you know, my sort of fantasy uh, Biden speech yesterday would have been something to the effect of, look, there has to come a time when we stop living in fear of this. And this happens to be the perfect time for that because the variant is weaker, because we have vaccines that, that, and boosters that are available to you at any time. So this is, this is, this is ultimately good news, despite, despite what's going on. Uh, here's why, and I'm sorry, John, I'm interrupting briefly, but the threat posed by this virus is less than the threat posed by the institutions responding to it. The threat to you and your day-to-day -day life from this virus is, is minimal, especially if you're vaccinated, most like, mostly if you're vaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, you're in trouble. But if you're one of the 70% of this country that's vaccinated, the threat is minimal. The threat to you is the fact that you can't travel. The threat to you is the fact that you can't send your kids to school. The threat to you is the institutions responding to this thing, shutting down, shutting down schools, <clears throat> closing restaurants, shutting down sports seasons. The threat to you in your daily life is an overreaction from institutions. I agree with both of you. And what that says is that he shouldn't have given the speech at all, because I don't think that the public health institutions and he is part of that. And I'm not talking about every irresponsible one. They are not ready. They do not feel. And I hear this in the people that we, we trust, like Scott or, you know, others. They're just not quite ready to say go ahead and live your lives with Omicron like they need they they're not they're not lying when they say they could use a couple more weeks of data before they before they you know blow the all clear whistle so he shouldn't have given the speech the speech is an op the speech is not required and it was not necessary for him to give it he obviously I think intended when they first said they were going to give the speech to give a different more optimistic speech I don't know why. I don't know why they thought that that was going to be a thing. But what we heard was he was going to start saying, we're now moving into a position where we have where we're going to live with the, the virus. And then he couldn't say it. So he should have canceled the speech rather than look, here's a sentence that he used. Um, if you are vaccinated and follow the precautions that we all know well, you should feel comfortable celebrating Christmas and the holidays as you planned it. Now, let's parse this sentence for a minute. Okay. So if you're vaccinated and you follow the precautions that we know well, meaning what? You wear a mask indoors, you don't touch anybody, you purell your hands until they're raw. I don't know what, you know, you take a test. I don't know what it is that they want, right? You should feel comfortable celebrating Christmas and the holidays as you planned it. So it's like the speech 
was directed, you're saying, who was it for? It was directed for the staff of the Atlantic. It was directed for two hysterics. It's okay. It's okay for you to step outside your house with Omicron. You're vaccinated. You're boosted. You're going to wear a mask. You can celebrate Christmas as you planned it. And by the way, as you plan, it could be, we're only going to have six people in the house because I'm so terrified of the vaccine. Tones like this don't do anything to calm neurotic people. You should feel comfortable. Really? I should? Like, they're, they're, that's like a parsing. It's like, should I? I mean, he's not saying go celebrate Christmas right now with everybody and have a wonderful time. I love you. Christmas time is here. Let's all watch Charlie Brown Christmas and roast marshmallows. He's like, you should feel comfortable celebrating Christmas. If, you're, if, you're, if your brain is frazzled by the neurotic messages of, fear and terror that is not common right and for everybody else it's like who the hell are you to tell me that it's okay for me to celebrate christmas you're my employee you're not my boss you're not the you're, you're not the boss of me like the tone it's not for anybody is what i'm saying now i want to move on to one other thing here okay so i want to read read to you from uh, the morning dispatches newsletter uh For months, lockdown skeptical infectious disease experts like Dr. Monica Gandhi of the University of California at San Francisco have been arguing in favor of using hospitalizations as the key metric in determining pandemic policy rather than cases. Biden didn't directly endorse that view yesterday, but with new cases likely to sort of record highs in the coming weeks, he nodded in its direction. Um, Gandhi was pleased, quote, I thought the speech was great, she told the dispatch Tuesday afternoon. I thought it was really hopeful. He's basically reminding us that in no way we're back to March 2020, which is not how the media has been covering it sometimes, and that cases aren't hospitalizations. So did you guys hear that? Because I don't know whether, you know, if you're a Talmudist, and you're listening to slight word changes and, t- you know, changes in the subjunctive to the ablative or whatever, like maybe I think I just I just I think it literally just confused nouns and verbs there in my in my nonsense philology. But um, uh, maybe you can discern that. But I, I don't think anybody in America heard that, even though I just said that that's what should happen. Right. That we need to focus on hospitalizations rather than cases. Yeah, he did not say that. He that, that I you're gonna we're gonna make you diagram that sentence later, John. But no, honestly, if I went back and looked, I always go back and try to find transcripts of these sorts of speeches too to see if there was something that was distracting me visually that maybe I missed uh, listening to. There's if it was there, it was so subtle as to be almost uh, that should have been the lead. That should have been the lead of his speech right there, and it was not. It was buried. Okay, um, so. Dr. Monica Gandhi wants hope. She found hope in the speech and the speeches, tones and everything. I will say one more thing and then I'm going to go to a, uh, go to some, some, some ads. But um, as a st- structurally, as a speech, it had, was very weird. I don't know if everybody heard this. Like he said everything three times. He kept coming back and back and back to the same points. Uh uh, the dispatch counts, I think, 68 mentions. Hold on, where is this? Uh, the president said the words vaccine, vaccinated, vaccination, booster, and boosted a combined 
68 times in one speech. Okay. This was not one speech. This is my view as a foreign presidential speech writer, though it was a long time ago that I was a presidential speech writer. So I think there were three different speech drafts, and I think they basically sewed them together. I think they each section of the speech said exactly the same thing as the section of the speech before it. It built to nothing. It had no, it had no, a speech generally starts and kind of tries to rise to a rhetorical flourish point at which everything that has been said before comes together uh, in a, in an overarching theme that it ends with usually anecdotally. This didn't even have that. It was just a series of restatements of the same data and information. And the only way I can look at that is that three different people cast it. And for reasons that elude me, rather than pick one approach, they just took all three, sewed them together and made a 30 minute speech of uncommon repetitiveness. Like, I don't think you, I can't remember a presidential speech that did this in this way. Like, Oh, did you hear five minutes ago? I just said, if you're boosted, you're fine. I'm going to say it again. Oh, wait, it's now 22 minutes in. I'm going to say it a third time. Not for the purpose of emphasis. Almost like he forgot having said it 10 minutes earlier. John, I, I know you said you were going to go to a commercial, but I just had a thought when you said it built toward nothing. I, I have a radical idea. Uh Because the, he, he tried to sort of uh, tidy things up in a, with a bow at the end when he talked about he emphasized the word united when he said there's nothing that the United States, you know, can't get get over and, and, and uh, uh, something to that effect. Um, my radical idea is what if what if he decided to stop fighting the the non-vaccinated um, tonally, which is to say, look, I, and I I'm not with them, Abe, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm not I'm not saying I don't I, I'm not saying I agree with them. But what if he what if he said. Look, what if he came out and said, "This is we have great news. Uh, the 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 variant is is seems to be uh, weaker in terms of uh, its effects on you. Uh, boost our, our booster shots do great work. So you're really in good shape. For the non-vaccinated, I'll pray for you. I'd like to see you here with us. I'd like to you know for you to continue you know living and 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 thriving. Um, and 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 I'll pray for you. And I and I hope you get vaccinated." And uh, together, but we're, we're headed in the right direction and uh, together we can do this. I, I can answer that. Here's why he can't say that, because he believes the role of the federal government is to save people from themselves. And he said that he said, you know, I have these mandates because not because I want to control you. It's because I want to I want to save you. The federal government's job is not to save the people of the United States. It is to function as a government and provide certain services to taxpayers and citizens and certain protections to the nation as a whole. This this weird rhetoric of, you know, I'm going to save you from yourselves. That could have very pernicious outcomes if you start applying it to other aspects of people's lives, right? That's why we have all of these protections about how we practice our religious faith, uh, the kind of food we can put in our mouth and how much of it, uh, you know, where we live. These, these are really important freedoms. But I don't believe that this that the Biden administration and, and the Democrats, certainly the progressive left has made this clear, but the Democratic Party in general exists to tell you how you should live because they know best. And I really got a lot of that tone from him in his discussion. I agree with you, Abe. That would have been awesome. I don't think they're capable of doing that ideologically. It also creates a terrible uh, bind for them or a terrible uh, future problem for them, which is that um 
they can try to tell you how to live, but as Noah would say, I think, people won't follow their dictates, so it's self-defeating. And second of all, they don't know how people should live. And therefore, the people who want the government to tell you how to live are going to be disappointed in the results. They're not going to be happy because the world isn't going to be transformed in the way that they want it because the government is just a collection of a couple million people who are going about their lives day to day. It does not have unique wisdom. It does not have unique knowledge. It does not have unique guidance. It is a, it is an administrative body that spends money and administers programs and things like that. And it does not actually know how people should live because this is a very complicated society and people live in lots of different ways and lots of different places you know, block by block, acre by acre, square mile, county by county. And, um, and the promise is, is it's like uh, the Democratic Party after Obama or sort of during Obama when it suddenly became clear that the oceans weren't going, the ocean levels weren't going to subside. And, you know, he wasn't a light worker and, 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 and we weren't going to have new harmony abroad in, in the country with our with our newfound unity. They believe too much. They believe too readily in the, you know, the people for whom that rhetoric is, um, you know, is, uh, is, is catnip. Like, um, they yeah, just, I just, I just realized why despair. I, I just realized yeah. why Monica Gandhi is completely wrong and is living in a solipsistic universe. I have no idea why she thought the things that she thought, because everything okay. this government has been doing, including Joe Biden in that speech yesterday, isn't dedicated to to ensuring to deliverable deliverables to ensuring that we don't have bad outcomes from infection that we reduce hospitalization and death as a result of infection but to stop the spread because we're counting case rates this is all about right. case rates well, i want to get to that hypothetical fear okay. we have to get this. to that we have to get to that i meant it that, that i want to let let us take this up before uh, right after i read a couple of ads <laughs> okay um because uh it's time to talk about Mac Weldon. The holiday season is here, and with it come the early questions of what I wear to not ugly sweater parties, how do I maximize my time savoring holiday moments, minimize my time shopping for gifts. It's four days till Christmas. Fear not, Mac Weldon has the answers, whether it's an office party, a party with family or friends, or just a holiday party of you, your couch, and a game on TV. Mac Weldon has all the essentials to keep you stylish and comfortable throughout the season. And their innovative daily wear system has taken the hard work out of outfit planning with pieces designed to work together for any occasion, saving you time and sparing you any extra holiday stress. We're talking top-notch tops, best-selling bottoms and underwear and accessories that will please even the scroogiest guys on your list. With Mac Weldon, your holiday heavy lifting will be complete within minutes. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of the cold feeling like a walking popsicle just doesn't suit me. But with Mac Wilden's warm knit collection that features shirts, vests, pajama pants and more. My chilly winter days are behind me using innovative technology that uses your own body heat to keep you at the perfect temperature. These products from Mac Weldon have me saying something I never thought I would. I'm ready for the cold this holiday season. Every guy deserves to wear unforgettable clothes that he loves from the moments with loved ones that he'll never forget. That's why Mac Weldon should be on your holiday list for giving and getting for 20% off your first order. Visit MacWeldon.com slash commentary and enter promo code commentary. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com slash commentary, promo code commentary for 20% off Mac Weldon. Get it right this holiday season. And as we are soon approaching the holiday, Please go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble and get 
your loved ones a copy of David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. You've heard me talking about it before. This, uh, this adaptation of the daily devotional style to 250 individual pages that uh, lay out the connections between economics, human flourishing, and liberty, show the connections there to explore every important idea in economics uh, with great quotes from great thinkers and great economists. Uh, this is a perfect stocking stuffer or just regular present for anybody on your list. That's David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. There's no free lunch from the Bonson Group, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management industry. Now, uh, let's go back to, Noah, what what you were talking about, about this whole hospitalizations thing and how uh, we have a shifting set of rationales for the problem here because we're told, right, that what we're talking about here is oh my God, there's a terrible you know infectious wave and it's uh, but you know what it's really not that um, dangerous but it's bad you should get vaccinated but you know what don't worry but you know he, but we're terrified we're absolutely terrified because why the healthcare system is going to be overrun again yeah I don't right? want to I don't want to be too dismissive or flip about that because it's hypothetical but it's not entirely irrational or invalid the notion. Here is that the thing is is so communicable that even if most of the population is vaccinated and won't feel it or will have a mild case, the the sheer numbers of the people who will get infected and the short time frame in which they will get infected could threaten the stability of hospital systems. We haven't seen any of that yet. There's a New York Times piece talking about how certain hospital systems are strained, like in Rhode Island, and the subtext of it, which they don't go outright and say, but a, a a discerning read of this dispatch would lead you to believe that it has nothing to do with beds or capacity. It has everything to do with staffing. There's limited staffing in hospitals as a result of a variety of conditions, the labor shortage, vaccination mandates, whatever. Um, but the bottom line is that is that is the fear that even though it's less severe, it'll still overwhelm the hospital system by sheer numbers alone. Um, and yet, you know, and also, you know, they talk about this in, in the sense of, well, you know, there's an Axios piece I was reading this morning. Well, you know, it's really kind of scary because only 62% of this country is, is fully vaccinated. Yes. And the vast majority of the people outside that 62% are minors who have the lowest risk profile of any other demographic. Um, and it just kind of gets papered over. I don't know why, but a conspiratorial read on the why would lead you to believe because they're focused on case rates. They're focused on stopping the spread. In fact, they're not saying it outright, but that is the hypothetical fear. So that is what you should devote yourself to trying to do to stop and mitigate the spread of this thing. That was Joe Biden's speech. It's why he's saying you need to wear a mask indoors all the time. You need to social okay. distance. You need to do all this stuff to stop the spread, to stop the case rates. Guess what? That has been an objective failure since day one. Stopping okay, the but, spread is outside our control, even but, though that's what they're focused on controlling. Okay. But when they say the healthcare system is going to be overwhelmed, we are in a different place from where we were in March 2020. It is not going to be overwhelmed because the hospitals are going to be overrun. And this is a very interesting change. What we are, to, what we are being told, if you read carefully and closely in these stories, is that they may get overwhelmed because they are short-staffed. Not because they don't have the physical capacity to deal with patients as we mentioned yesterday, I think the head, the CEO of the Northwell Healthcare System, 
which is the largest hospital system in New York City, which is the largest city in the United States by a factor of two, said that they were at 10% capacity in terms of what they could handle, meaning there was 90%, they, were, they could take 90% more patients before they hit full capacity. But what we're reading about in city after city and state after state is a lot of people have left the healthcare industry or nurses have retired or people are not doing, and so they are understaffed, short-staffed. Well, there are answers to short-staffing. You know what they are? Pay people more. Do what you can to get them back. Provide bonuses and benefits and things like that. There are, there are actual real-world solutions to these kinds of problems. Um, and yet, yet again, we probably have another one of the unintended consequences of the coronavirus relief bill, which made it, um, you know, at least from you know March until September, uh, made it as lucrative to be at home not working, particularly if you were a healthcare worker, a lot of whom are not particularly well paid. Uh, stay at home instead of working, and maybe they, you know, maybe they saved up a nest egg or whatever, and they don't want to go back. That's a totally different issue. That's an insanely different issue from having to worry about capacity and whether or not there are going to be beds and people are going to be dying in the street. And this, you can't say they're the same. But this is what this is actually a huge, you know, we talk often about layered mitigation strategies for dealing with the virus, but there, there are layered policy strategies that have always caused these kinds of surreal situations where we're being told by the president of the United States in some cases, this is what's happening and why. But we know from experience on the ground that there are lots of other reasons why this is going on. And I think that in particular, look, if there's any group of workers in this country who deserve to say, we are burnt out and tired and don't want to do this anymore, it's our healthcare workers. They were literally on the front lines for over a year working very hard, as you say, John, often for very little money. Um, and not just in hospitals, you know, people who work in nursing homes and, and et cetera into care facilities. All, all of these people had a really rough time of it. It's what gets me angry when I hear teachers who sat on their butts doing Zoom for a year going, oh, I'm so burnt out, the trauma. I'm like, you need to shut down, shut your mouth right now and sit down. Like, no, you don't get to do that right now. But I do think that, again, these policy strategies we've made, there's no acknowledgement on the part of the government right now to say, you know what, let's let's look at what some of these consequences were, what's what's happened, what we can do to shift gears now to get more healthcare workers. I would have loved to have heard that talk about uh, what we can do to fight these issues from Joe Biden yesterday, instead of saying we're going to put 10 more pop up testing facilities in New York. But he they said, can't do that. They can't shift gears. He said they're sending 300 doctors from from the military That's... into the country they're there they're on the ground now in wisconsin <laughs> he mentioned one other state aside from wisconsin well you know okay you really it's like want, a you school really... trip size of worth of yeah. doctors in one state yeah that's but you really have this issue nothing. so like take five thousand military nurses and send them around i mean the problem here is a staffing problem i we have to keep hitting that we were terrified in March of 2020 that there weren't literally going to be enough beds, right? You remember? I mean, hospital ships were coming. People were sending, setting up field hospitals in Central Park, stuff like that. And it turned out that that was wrong. We actually did have enough beds and we built way too many respirators because there was all this fear about respirators. But nonetheless, we, we did, in fact, scale up. If that's a real problem, there are real world emergency measures and solutions that can be taken, including ones that Biden mentioned yesterday. Only it's it's all half-assed. 
But if it, it is, but, see, but the the problem with it being a staffing problem is that that doesn't feed into the COVID culture war. If see the 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 problem has to it has to be one that you can blame on people who aren't doing what you are telling them to do. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's got to be blamed on the bad behavior of others. Right. I mean, another tell is the fact that we've been doing this for two years. We've thrown four trillion dollars at this thing, and nobody built another ICU. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what yeah there is literally not not a word to say in response to that so i'm going to talk to you about the x chair okay how about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every day all year long it's the holidays you deserve a gift get yourself the x chair by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair i've ever used the coolest looking for piece of furniture i own and you know with that patented lmx technology you can get a massage it can either cool or warm your back this is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. You've heard me talk about it for a year. Go buy the X chair. Save $100 off off your new X chair just by purchasing it at xchaircommentary.com. Now that's a letter X, the word chair, commentary.com. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com and save xchaircommentary.com. Now, let me spend a minute talking to you about why you should support commentary in your end of year giving okay let's just let that's as as, as my, my grandfather would say let's talk talkless commentary earns makes about two-thirds of what it needs and it needs another third of what we of what we spend to close our deficit let me talk to you about the staffing of commentary you want to know how many people work at commentary eight eight people I'm talking about administrative staff. I'm talking about us, the four of us, eight people in total put out the magazine, put out the website and do this podcast. Eight people, okay? 11 issues a year, tens of thousands of words a month in the, in, in, in the magazine, 70,000 words a month, something like that, and tens of thousands of words a month on the website. Eight people. Why am I telling you this? Because we run a tight ship. We are a tight ship. We are very controlled. We contain our spending. We're not the Atlantic hiring 250,000 people to do 12 jobs. There are eight of us. We keep the expenditures low in order to run the institution, keep it going, have modest expectations, and, uh, and, and, and flourish the way we can flourish by keeping our expenses low and keeping our productivity high. That's why we are a good bet for you to provide us with support. You know that that money is going where you want it to go into this podcast, into the magazine, into the website, because that's all we do. You know, we're not going out for expensive lunches. We're not taking fancy trips. We're not doing anything like that. What we do is this every day, every day and put out the best magazine we can, the best website we can. So if you want to look for a charitable cause where you know that you're the dollar that you spend is going to the cause that you believe in and the institution that you want to support, I've spent 12 years running the magazine and Commentary Inc. with an eye toward making sure that our donors know that their money goes to support the thing that they want most, which is the furtherance of the mission of Commentary, which is... Uh, patriotic support of America, the West and its institutions, a bulwark against anti-Semitism, support of the state of Israel, and a belief that Western culture is the highest and greatest creation of mankind. That is what we're here for. Please 
give and give generously at www.commentary.org slash donate. We'll be back with you tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.